you to turn to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8, verse 4. This is a New Testament commentary on Psalm 126. It talks about sowing, reaping, harvesting. And we have this parable of Jesus. Luke chapter 8, beginning on verse 4. That's on page 865 of our Pew Bibles. But hear the word of God. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture and some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And he said, and as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who... When they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear the word, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil... They are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Amen to this reading of God's holy and divinely inspired word. Uh, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we... Thank you for giving to us your word. Thank you that you speak to us in in language we can understand. Thank you that we not only have your word in, in everyday English here in the English Standard Version, but thank you that you talk about things, teach us with things that we, we know. Reaping, or sowing, reaping harvesting, Lord, joy, gladness, tears. And Lord, pray uh, that by the power of your Holy Spirit that, that you would not only be teaching us more about your word, uh, but more importantly, may we be fruitful in, in our walk of faith with Christ. Pray this all to your glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 
God's promise of gospel joy, and by the way, I encourage you to turn to Psalm 126. That's our our sermon text for this morning, Psalm 126. You know, God's promise of gospel joy is one of the glorious comforts that the Lord's children can possess and never lose. You know, consider all the times that our church gathers to rejoice. We gather to rejoice at the baptism of a covenant child. We rejoice at the wedding ceremony of a Christian man and woman who love one another and, more importantly, love the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, consider, too, the gospel joy uh, that we can know and experience every Lord's Day when we gather to worship our triune God with our prayers, our singing, our confessing of sin, assurance of pardon, our responsive readings, preaching of God's word, celebrating of the Lord's Supper together. You know, with tears in their eyes, you know, Christians can still rejoice at the funeral of one who trusted in Christ for their salvation. Even as believers, our our pilgrimage of faith is marked with laughter and sorrow, gladness and grief, bitter bitter tears and joyful shouts, you know, because of the Lord's greatness and, and his grace to us in Christ. You know, here in Psalm 126, and encourage you to keep your Bibles open as we study it together, you know, we, we learn that the Lord releases us from captivity, gives us cause for rejoicing in our redemption. May it be our prayer, you know, that the Lord's great restoration would bring abiding gospel joy to us as God's pilgrims. It's not a one-and-done joy. It's not a joy only experienced by the captives who were released from exile. You know, it's for us today as followers of Christ. Well, how does the Lord's restoration bring gospel joy to his pilgrims? We'll see there's a pouring out of great joy, praying with great joy, and then persevering with joy. It begins there, Psalm 126, verse One, you know, this pouring out of great joy at the Lord's restoration. You know, as you have heard God's word read, you read it responsively, you know, Psalm 126 appears to be what is called a post-exilic psalm. You know, after God's people were exiled from Judah, 586 B.C., sent off, Uh, to the northern kingdom of Babylon. You know, it seems that it's a psalm that was sung by God's people when they returned to Israel after 70 years of captivity in Babylon, so that would date the psalm somewhere around 500 B.C. And it seems to be a psalm of lament. If you skip ahead a few Psalm, Psalm 137, is indeed a a psalm of exile. The title of it, Psalm 137, By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs. 
and our tormentors' mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. And their question, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? And so now they're returning. God has enabled them, brought them back uh, to, to Israel. You know, but as, we'll, as we study this, it's not only a psalm to be sung by returning exiles. It's for all of us who have been graciously delivered you know, by God's gracious, mighty hand. Hold on to that thought. But here, verse 1, we see the returning exiles. When the Lord restored, New American Standard translates that, when the Lord brought back the captive ones of Zion. You know, the same God who providentially caused Judah to be sent off into exile for their idolatry, their unrepentant hearts, you know, has graciously caused a foreign ruler, King Cyrus of Persia, to send God's people back to Israel. You know, to Zion, you know, the, the promised land. We see it not only here in Psalm 130, but there in Jeremiah 30. Hear these verses, Jeremiah 30. This had been God's promise to Israel even before they had, were sent off into exile. Jeremiah 30, verse 1, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. For behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel and Judah, says the Lord, and I will bring them back to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. So God's promise, even before they were sent into exile, uh, the Lord promised Israel that he would bring them back uh, from exile. And now we, we see that taking place, these returning exiles, And so the question you might have is, why did God send them into exile? Matthew Henry helps us here. He writes, God sent them into captivity, not as dross is put into the fire to be consumed, but as gold to be refined. You know, Lamentations. Uh, We've been studying it on Wednesday nights, and there is a a verse in Lamentations. It's at the center there, Lamentations 3.22. You know, this is what God wanted his people to learn. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. God was refining his people, even in exile. And now they are returning from exile. And we'll see with great joy and gladness. But still, verse 1, we were like those who dream. You know, Judah's return joyful return to their homeland after exile seemed too good to be true. You ever 
use that expression or had a dream, you know, a great dream, and you woke up thinking, man, I thought it was really happening or hoping it would really happen. You know, but you know, just to give you an illustration, there's an account in Acts, you know, when the Lord delivers Peter from prison. You know, there in Acts chapter 12, won't read it to you, but the Lord himself brings Peter past two guards, you know, brings him through what had been a locked gate, and he returns to a prayer meeting where God's people had been praying for his release, and they hear Peter's voice, and they think it's a dream. You know, Rhoda, the servant, hears him, doesn't even open the door. You know, this is too good to be true. This is a dream that God has answered our prayers, released our brother Peter from prison. We were like those who dream. You know, then, now we see the not only the returning exiles, but the rejoicing exiles. The Lord filled their mouths with laughter. You know, it's not a hateful scorning. It's not trash talk that's taking place here. You know, but, but it's a holy delight in God's deliverance, sort of like when you're, you're laughing at, at the, the birth of a baby after great pain or you're laughing at a, at a wedding you know, after the ceremony is done and you're at the reception. You know, it, it, it's a, a joyful laughter, a holy laughter you know, at the goodness of God here. And our tongues with shouts of joy. That's one of the chief themes here of of Psalm 126. We see it there in verse 2, verse 5, verse 6. Eugene Peterson in his book about the Psalms, Psalms of Ascents, writes, Joy is a characteristic of Christian pilgrimage. And he references Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. First fruit of the Spirit is... You know it. Love. What's the second one? Joy. Love, joy. You know, amazing. I mean, they're all part of that fruit of the Spirit, you know, but, but it's God's purpose and plan and giving to us the Holy Spirit is so that we would know his joy. And then Peterson goes on to write, joy is not a requirement of Christian discipleship. It is a consequence you know, so if we're following Christ, you know, our, our walk of faith, maybe not every moment of every day, but ought to be marked with joy. Joy in the Lord's goodness, joy in the Lord's grace to us in, in Christ. You know, and what's going to be the impact? Look, look again at, at verse 2, middle part. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. In other words, when they're joyful... You know, it's a witness to the nations, to the goyim is what it's called, to the heathen, you know, to the unbelieving nations. They're going to look at God's people returning from exile with, with joyful laughter, tongue with shouts of joy, and they're going to, you know, scratch their heads and say, the Lord has done great things for them. I'm not sure if... It means they're, they're brought to saving faith, but they can certainly bear witness to the truth that God is with them. He is a great God, a gracious God, a good God 
to his people. You know, but then what will Israel do? You know, verse 3. You know, the Lord has done great things for us. You know, so it's both end. The, the heathen will be seeing the witness of Christians, joyful witness of Christians, and, and Christians as well will be rejoicing. Lord, thank you, Lord, that you have done great things for us, and we are glad. You know, Isaiah, again, wrote this, and again, it's before the exile, but, but hear this, Isaiah 25, verse 9. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Isaiah 25, verse 9. Now, the Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. You know, if you're, you're looking to jumpstart your, your prayer life, you know, just use that verse. Lord, thank you for all the great things you have done for me. Lord, I'm, I'm a bit discouraged today, fearful, worried. You know, may I remember the great things that you have done for me, for our church, for, our, for your family. We are glad I'm sure I've told this story before, but I like this story, and I'll tell it again. You know, when I think of great joy, you know, I remember the the summer of 1976. Seems like it was just yesterday before Lynn and I were married. You know, we were apart for the summer, um, and I called Lynn. I was over in Europe traveling with a group from Gordon College. We were following the trail of the Reformation, you know, those days, no cell phones, no texts, no emails. Um, yes, it was a payphone found in Paris, and I called Lynn on the phone. First time I called, she wasn't home. I was sad. Left a message. I can't remember which, which uh, roommate it was. And then I was able to call her a few hours later. And when Lynn answered the phone... I still remember her shouts of joy. I can't believe you're calling. I can't believe you're calling. And that was about the extent of our conversation. It was like two minutes long. You know, but, you know, I can, I can still hear that. You know, it's nice to hear. I mean, those jo- sounds of joy, voices that bring us joy. You know, and I quietly rejoiced. She was much more faithful than me. She sent me a host of... Uh, Airmail letters, I don't know whether they still have those anymore, Um, almost every day for about eight weeks. You know, but consider, you know, the many occasions when God's people poured out their great joy for his gracious restorations from ruinous occasions. You know, think of Joseph. First thrown into a pit by his own brothers and thrown unjustly into prison. Think of God delivering Israel from bondage in Egypt. You know, think of all the judges. When you go through the book of Judges, all the judges that the Lord sent 
to save Israel out of the hands of those who plundered them. Ehud, Gideon, Samson, just to name a few. You know, all pointing us to Christ. You know, that's where our true joy is. He has restored us. He has redeemed us. You know, and as Christians, we should have mouths filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. You know, hear this. You know, Zechariah verse 9. We read it quite often on Palm Sunday. Zechariah 9, 9, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now we can rejoice not only on Palm Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday, you know, but, but we can always rejoice you know, that, that we have a king, king of kings and lord of lords, a savior, a redeemer. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ pouring out great joy at the Lord's restoration. But look again, Psalm 126. Now just verse 4, we, we are praying with great joy on the pilgrimage. Praying with great joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. The B is actually pronounced like a V, if you want to impress your Christian friends. New American Standard translates it, Restore our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. You know, restore Jehovah, Yahweh, the faithful covenant-keeping God. Restore our fortunes. You know, it... it the, I believe the best way of understanding it is, Lord, we're, we're physically back here in the land of, of Israel, you know, but, but continue that good work that you've begun within us. Continue to increase our joy, our gratitude, our gladness. You know, the, the message, Eugene Peterson, you know, says this about that first verse. He translates it this way. I like this. And now... God, do it again. Bring rains to our drought-stricken lives. You know, consider what life was like for the returning exiles. If you, if you know a little bit of scripture, you know, many of them liked living in Babylon. A significant proportion of the Israelites say, man, we, we've got it made in the shade here in Babylon. Granted, we're living under a foreign power, you know, not the freedom to worship the one true God, or maybe they were worshiping false gods, but they liked it in Babylon. They, they did not return, even when they had the opportunity and freedom to return. You know, sort of like the Israelites there in the, in the wilderness. Remember how they started grumbling and they said this to Moses, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. That's Numbers 11.15. You know, but what did the exiles return to there in Israel? Overgrown fields. You know, the walls of Jerusalem had fallen. 
the temple was destroyed. You know, they needed rain, it seems, for their seeds and for their souls. And and so they, they prayed, they cried out to God. You know, Lord, you know, restore our fortunes, finish your great and gracious work of restoration. I believe it's a prayer for us as well. Lord, continue to renew us, revive us, strengthen us. You know, the circumstances around us seem so often bleak, grim. You know, restore our fortunes, Lord. You know, refresh us, you know, like streams in the Negev. You know, if you look at a map, Negev is the southern portion of Judah. You know, it's, it's a dry and barren land. And the only time they have water, you know, is when, you know, they, they get those downpours and the water gushes down in, into the Negev. It, it comes, but infrequently... And so he is praying here, you know, Lord, send your spring rains on our souls and upon our soil. Lord, we're thirsting for you, the life-giving water. Again, a scriptural example. Think of the prophet Elijah there in 1 Kings 17. You know, he's, he's thirsty, depressed, and where does the Lord put him? You know, by the brook Cherith. You know, fresh, clean, running water. And the Lord even takes it a step further. He sends ravens to feed him every day. You know, Lord, restore our fortunes. Refresh our fainting spirits. You know, Lord, remind us of the joy of salvation. You know, hear this, Psalm 51, verse 12. You know, David's psalm of repentance, Psalm 51, verse 12, a good prayer to pray for us as well. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Lord, I'm struggling. Lord, I'm depressed, discouraged, fearful, worried burdened, whatever it might be. And so you can pray. I can pray, Lord, restore to me that that joy of salvation. You know, Dr. James Boyce, a saint who's now in glory, left us far too young, but that's God's providence. He was the pastor at 10th Street Presbyterian Church, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Historic church actually was a a Presbyterian church in America, still is. Wrote some great uh, commentaries. Actually, there are his sermons on the Psalms, three-volume work, and then he also wrote uh, a great set of sermons on Romans that I've used. But in the, the portion here about Psalm 126, He gives a list of joys that Christians commonly lose on their pilgrimage of faith. You know, I'll be so bold as to add to and amend his list. You know, but let me give you, you know, five 
ways that are five things that we lose with our joy of salvation. One, at times we lose our joy of salvation. William Cowper Cooper wrote a hymn that had this line, you know, where is the blessedness, the joy I once, I knew when once I saw the Lord. You remember the day when you were saved from your sins? You know, that burden was lifted. You know, you weren't in chains to Satan anymore. You were clothed with the righteousness of Christ, that joy of salvation, the assurance of glory. You know, we, we can lose that. You know, maybe not all at once, but, you know, more like a, a slow leak in a tire. You know, we don't realize it till it's flat. You know, we lose that joy of salvation. We lose that joy of victory over besetting sins. For the longer you've been a Christian, you know, that's something we have to fight every day. You know, we we tend to be complacent. It's easy to grow complacent with your sins. Well, just the way I am. Well, God wants to renew that joy. Refresh you, cause you to repent of your sins. You know, and usually we use that, lose that joy of, of victory over besetting sins because we give in to sin far too easily, that, that snare of sin. You know, third, the joy of Christian worship. Well, it's Sunday. Guess I got to go to church. Remember Psalm 122? You know, we, we looked at a few weeks ago. You know, those opening words, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. You know, Saturday night, Sunday morning, you realize, hey, it's Sunday. Do you say, oh God, it's Sunday? Or do you say, Lord, thank you that I can worship you, gather with the Lord's people, not by live stream, you know, not just by listening to the audio sermon, but I can, you know, sit here in the sanctuary, hear my brothers and sisters in Christ singing and praying, reading God's word, see their faces, shake their hands, pray for them. You know, that joy of, of Christian worship. You know, I, I would submit to you, I know in my own life, that's one way our love for Christ grows cold. Fourth, the joy of laboring for the Lord. You know, leading in family devotions. Sharing our faith with the lost. Gladly serving in the church. If you want to give me a heart attack, just come to me after church. Say, preacher, what can I do here at the church? I'm ready to go. Tell that to Jason about the FCA camp. Jason, what can I do? How can I help? You know, that, that, not that we're saved by works, but as we're serving the Lord, it, it renews our, our joy for the Lord. Finally, the joy of spiritual growth. So, you know, quickly, the joy of salvation, the joy of spiritual victory, the joy of Christian worship, the joy of laboring for the Lord, the joy of spiritual growth. 
well, you know, how are you doing? I'm fine. You know, we're, we're on that same plane. But do we have a growing love for Christ? A hunger for his word? A heart for prayer? You know, that the joy that we read about in Philippians... You know, Philippians chapter 1, verse 25, a great New Testament book to read if you want to restore your joy in the Lord. But one verse, Philippians 1, 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Now, note how he links those two together, progress, growing as a Christian, and joy in the faith. You know, may we as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ pray for God's work of restoration, pray for great joy in the Lord. Finally, we are to be persevering with great joy on the pilgrimage. So we are pouring out great joy at the Lord's restoration. We are praying with great joy on the pilgrimage. Finally, verses 5 and 6, we're we're persevering with great joy on the pilgrimage. You know, as we study scriptures, and I'm, I'm struck that by this, especially in the Psalms of Ascent, it, it's, hopeful, it's helpful to know the context, the, the geography of the land, and you can buy those books. I'd be glad to loan you one. You know, the hydrology, the rivers, the streams, the wadis. It's helpful to know about farming, even. You know, but look there at verse... Five, those sowing in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Why, why would they be sowing in tears? Maybe they returned to Israel with just, you know, one bag of seed. You know, here, here's our wheat, here's our corn. And when I sow this, you know, we're not going to be able to eat it. We're going to sow it, you know, in in faith in the Lord that the Lord is going to cause these seeds to sprout. He will cause these these plants to bear fruit, maybe even a hundredfold, so that we can eat this and not starve. And so as they were planting the seeds, they were doing it with tears. You know, it's said that traditionally sowing had overtones of sorrow as a sign of death. You know, think of Jesus' words in, in John chapter 12, verse 24. John 12, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. You know, so they were sowing these seeds you know, with that hope that they would bear fruit, but still with tears in their eyes. Those sowing in tears, and then God gives the promise, shall reap with shouts of joy. You know, after faithfully sowing the seed, the farmer rejoices as the family reaps the harvest, 30, 60, 100 fold. You know, I grew up singing a host of hymns, gospel hymns. Some of you might know it. We don't have to sing it together today. We'll save it for our hymn sing. Dirk talked about. But the the refrain is simply this. Bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves. 
we will come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. And, and again, Psalm 126, he who goes out weeping. You know, that, again, that idea of tears, weeping, sacrifice, sorrow. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing. You know, th- think of the parable of the soils again that we read. Luke chapter 8, 4 through 15. The sower went out to sow his seed, you know, and, and four different results. You remember the first seed fell along the paths, eaten by the birds. Some of his seed fell on rocky soil. The idea is that there was a thin layer of soil and underneath was rock, and so it would quickly sprout up because of the warmth of the rock, but then it couldn't sink down roots, and so that, that sprout would quickly die. Third seed fell among thorns, weeds. He didn't see it when he was sowing, but as the seed is growing, the thorns start growing. And for those of you who have gardens, you know that weeds always grow faster uh, than your, the plants you want, and they tend to choke it out. So you have these three what could be called failures. You know, but, but what's the last seed? Some seed fell on good soil, grew, and produced a harvest a hundredfold. You know, and what did Jesus say at the end of that parable, Luke 8, 13? He who has ears, let him hear. You know, actually, that's a command. Hear God's word. Pay attention. Learn from this. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, that's the sad news, but look at the last part shall come home with shouts of joy, you know, with, with a ringing cry. You know, and I believe that word home has, has strong hints of heaven. You know, not, not just to his earthly home. We're sowing in this life, serving the Lord. You know, one day we'll know that unending joy, unquenchable joy of glory bringing his sheaves with him, you know, an abundant harvest of faith after great affliction, joy even in the midst of sorrow, gladness even in the midst of grief. Again, from Eugene Peterson, so those who planted their crops in despair will shout hurrahs at the harvest, so those who went off with heavy hearts will come home laughing with armloads of blessing. My wife has told me, I'm lately told her there will be no ocean in heaven. I don't know whether no beaches in heaven, no sleep in heaven. But here scripture tells us that there will be laughter in heaven. There will be joy in heaven, unending joy. That abundant harvest, close with this story, a couple quick applications, maybe one. You know, way back when, uh, my older brother and his new bride lived in Yuma, Arizona, when he was in the Army. You can find it on a map. I know Bill knows where it's at. You think it's hard living in Louisiana. In Yuma, Arizona, in the summer, it can get up to 130 degrees. 
and it's dry. It's a barren land. The reason he was there, he was there was lots of desert, so they could use it as an artillery range. And we visited him out there when it was dry and barren. But he told us um, that I think it's in the spring, maybe late winter, they'll get uh, a good rain. They don't get much rain in Yuma, Arizona. And when that rain falls, he said, the desert all of a sudden becomes beautiful. You know, all these flowers bloom, cactus, you know, and, and he said it's, it's magnificent. Only problem is <laughs> that only lasts for a week or two, and then again those, those plants wither, waiting for the next rain. It's a short-lived splendor, a, a, a temporary joy. You know, contrast that with Psalm 126. You know, as believers behold the Lord's great and gracious work of restoration after painful captivity, they laugh, they shout with joy, there's a gladness as they proclaim to the Lord's future with great hope, gospel hope, knowing they're sinners saved by grace through faith in Christ. You know, they look to the future, you know, with great hope as they pray for the Lord's unfailing restoration. May that mark us as Christians today. You know, we won't find that joy in the culture around us. It's a dying joy, a lot of grumbling. A lot of anger. But may we, by God's grace and for God's glory, may the nations around us even say, the Lord has done great things for them. And may we say in response, the Lord has done great things for us in Christ. We are glad. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we as redeemed sinners can rejoice now and always in the salvation that is ours by grace through faith in Christ. And Lord God, I pray um, that this week, maybe even today, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what's on social media or the headlines of the news, Lord, may we be those who um, display the gladness of God, the joy of salvation, and may it be a witness to a sin-weary world all around us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.